Welcome to Craft Advice, a podcast to help investors tackle the more complex area of their personal and business finances. Join Jack and Sean as we discuss everything from investing to retirement and everything in between. Classic, no, whatever. No. So, I th- I forget which it was. I think it was a Zurich golf tournament or something. Guy just smokes par three, hits like a f- beautiful shot, and as soon as he's swings instead of screaming mashed potato someone screamed keep my wife's name out you fucking mouth yes yes and as soon as they scream that they got a 10-year ban oh jesus i was like come on that's so lame get get into the real world this is kind of fucking losers that sucks kind of getting nuts anyway everybody welcome back to craft advice with jack and sean we're we're back we're we're not taking as much of a delay, so this is recording and will drop um, a few days prior to when you're hearing it. So, trying to catch up so we're a little more timely. You know, we've already recorded two episodes on how Elon's going to buy Twitter, and in time, he already bought it. <laughs> bought it. So, bought it. See it, want it, buy it, own it. There you go. That's <laughs> what you do. It's called an impulse buy. Just, mm-hmm. you know, $44 billion impulse buy. Stroke the check. Stroke the well, check. When you're Elon, what is considered fuck you money? Is you- <laughs> I feel like he talks to these other billionaires like they're children. Yeah. Yeah, you've yeah. only got 10 billion cloud. Go sit the fuck down. It is absurd if you think about how much he actually has. Mm-hmm. I it's mean, the GDP of certain countries. I mean, it's the GDP of most, many, many countries. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So, for reference... <clears throat> Spain's GDP is like a little over, just under a trillion and a half. So Elon's like a quarter of it. Yeah. He's a quarter of Spain. And I think if you can convert that to dollars, it's probably right around Elon's Elon's (laughs) amount. But anyways, what are you drinking? Today I am drinking uh, what's called a cold IPA. Called Florida Winters, Southern Swells, lovely local brewery here. There you go. I guess it's called a cold IPA because they use some of the hops that they would normally use in a lager to give it a, like a lighter, like a crispier, refreshing taste. Um, so it's kind of a mix and match. But uh, that's why they call it a cold IPA. I thought it was pretty interesting. What do you got? I'm drinking Big Storm Tropic Pressure. Nice local beer with a hibiscus flavor. Oh, hibiscus. Fancy. Fancy, fancy stuff, man. Fancy, I'm drinking, drinking the high fancy stuff as we start talking about all this stuff that's imploding. So Ooh. we're going to go today through a bunch of different stocks. We figure we just do kind of a market recap, see what's going on, what's been working, what's not been working. I do. I kind of want to start, though, with Facebook or Meta, mm. whatever the hell we want to call this company. Meta. So two things. One, it's down 50% from its high, but it did have a snap up 20% pop on earnings. Which we means it's even more. <laughs> what was that? Which, down, which means it was ultimately down even more when you, before it had that nice little rebound. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, all these tech companies are getting butchered. But what's interesting is the growth. I, I think it's the same thing with Google's report. Both companies are saying slowdown in revenue, which is kind of scary for, I mean, granted, this is like 
numerator blindness. You know, some of these companies are making like $120 billion. Like Google is an absurd amount of money that's coming in, but Facebook had a slowdown in revenue, but they had like 300 million new active users. I don't know if that's just everyone's so bored they have to be on the platform at all time or they're using WhatsApp or whatever, but I I don't know what you think about Meta. We talked about the uh, Metaverse and we didn't really know if that's going to go anywhere anytime fast, but stock price has been butchered, murdered, and it's trying to recover, but starting to get really cheap. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got a lot of fear baked into the price. So, I mean, I don't think it's a bad, a bad opportunity now. I mean, it could definitely go down more. But, you know, you just still think about the network that it has access to. I mean, there's so many 2. different 5 ways. 2.5 billion people on a month. That's crazy. It's, it's incredible, right? I wonder, lot, are they verified or do we know how many bot accounts? Do they have bot accounts like Twitter does? I honestly don't think they verify. So, yeah, you definitely still have fake accounts. I Well, I know, per, I know people personally that absolutely have fake accounts on <laughs> yeah, I get on LinkedIn all the time, some random person. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I have three messages with the same person. I'm like, this is weird. And then come to find out, oh, yeah, my LinkedIn was compromised. And somebody stole your picture and cloned it, and they're just blasting hateful comments to everybody. You shut up a bitch. <laughs> I but, wonder how much that would crush the stock price. Like, what if they came out and said, actually, $2.5 is not verified. It's actually one six on a monthly basis with this thing, just crater, or are they, you know, did the floor open up and now they're just assuming let's price in all bad news at one time reset back to, so it's at Meta's trading at $212 right now, which has taken us back to 2019 levels. Yeah. Think about that. Just completely gone. All this last three years, all this nice stock run up. I mean, all this, QE that was pumped into the system, zero rates, et cetera, et cetera, gone, all gone, completely gone. I think there's also, you, you, I mean, we, we often forget that they are the least liked of these evil tech companies. And, um, and it's definitely one that the regulators are certainly keen on looking at how they can uh, break up or, you know, figure out some way to, you know, fix what, what, what they perceive as a, uh, what they're causing in terms of like a, a detriment that they're causing, right? I mean, you've got study after study continues to come out that shows like, you know, too much social media usage. It's like increasing like mental health disorders and depression and suicide and all these crazy things, um, which, you know, it, all that makes sense when you think about it, but it's not their fault necessarily. But um, again, anyways, there's a lot of very, interesting, very complex topics that regulators are trying to address with Facebook that are fairly unique to just Facebook. Yeah. Right? yeah. Right? I mean, it's not like there's nothing anywhere near like the issues that Facebook has. Apple, I mean, Apple's just huge, right? I mean, when it's all said and done, it's not like Apple's going around sucking, you know, buying all these companies up and, and making it ultra anti-competitive. Not that they haven't done things to, you know, improve their competitiveness in the past, but again, it's, they're just a massive company that makes a product that everybody loves and wants, right? I mean, it's Amazon, they've got anti-competitive practices and they're definitely looking at getting broken up. But at the end of the day, it's like, they've just got such scale that nobody can compete. Netflix was kind of a first mover advantage. Same thing with Google, right? But when it comes to Facebook, they've got a, a, a completely different uh, 
problem, if you will, that none of the other companies do. They're all yeah. too big, right? They all want to get broken up. But Facebook's got additional uh, issues under the hood. Here's here's a good question. So <clears throat> I swear since guy, I feel like since we got in the industry, like 2009, 2010. Yep. Well, the run from like 2009 to 2013-ish was nobody can beat the S&P. And then yep. that like accelerated from 2013 to like 2017. Then the growth trade, which is all the FANG stocks, just exploded at that point. And so now, you know, if, if someone goes out and buys the S&P 500 index, Apple's 7%, Microsoft 6%, Google's about 4 Tesla's 2 Amazon's 3.5%. So there's literally five or six companies that make up almost 30% of the index, maybe more. Yep. Interestingly you're starting to see a convergence between, so for those that don't know, the S&P 500 is 500 companies that are just bundled together into one investment you can buy. It's weighted, so the weighting of each company when you invest in the fund is based on the size of the company. So the larger company gets a larger share and so on and so forth. So you can buy that. There's also what's called an equal weight, which means you buy an equal percentage of every one of the 500 companies. Now, you're kind of seeing the two of these converge. So if you bought a S&P 500 equal weight or you bought an S&P 500 just market cap weighted fund, it used to be the market cap weighted one just smoked everything else. The performance on a one-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year, it's starting to really converge. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that's because a lot of these large tech companies, Facebook in this example, you know, went from a 3.5% weighting to a 1.7% weighting almost over the course of, three, four days that impacts the market cap one a lot more than it does equal weight one. But do you think some of these large names, cause it's, it's predominantly tech in these indexes. Do you think you're going to start to see a reshuffling of how they constitute the index? If it's going to have some real pressure or do you think they're just going to let this thing, you know, write itself and get on back to the races? Yeah, I don't know. I think these these tend to self-correct. I mean, there's plenty of times that you can look historically speaking and, you know, the top five or top 10 companies in the index over, you know, the last whatever, 80, 100 years have constituted a large percentage or a larger percentage than any of us would possibly feel comfortable with. I mean, there's definitely been periods in the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s, et cetera, where you've had concentration at the top end. I mean, I would say during the 90s was probably the least amount of concentration that we had because it was such a broadly a broadly ascending market, right? I mean, there was so much depth and breadth across the market in terms of what was doing well um, that it didn't necessarily have that level of concentration. Whereas right now, um, a lot of other companies have just been kind of treading water over the last 12 years. You know, I don't know, maybe I'd say treading water compared to the broader market, right? Whereas yeah. there is a select cachet of, of companies that have far exceeded market performance. And obviously because of that, they've been able to really gobble up market share of the index. But I don't think, I don't think it's, it's anything to, to fix. I think the, the market adjusts that it, it'll correct itself over time. Um, but yeah, let's, um, let's move on to the next topic. I want to go to BP. This is nuts. BP. So we talked, we talked a lot about, this Russia-Ukraine war, and I don't know if it's if everyone's doing this because it's the 
woke political thing to do, but the, the we're all just going to pull out entirely of Russia altogether. But every company started cutting ties. I mean, you have to realize if you're not paying attention to take Apple, for example, if China does something crazy, Apple has an insane amount of its revenue tied to China. So a good litmus test for how healthy is U.S.-China relations. I would look at a company like Tesla, who has almost half their sales, I believe, are coming from China. Same yeah. thing with Apple. You know, those companies are going to get crushed if there is some, some kind of international concerns. At the same time, Russia, most companies had very minimal impact. So, you know, you pull out your IT division. The consulting companies are having some issues because they're all tied up with the banks, but banks are divesting. Yep. So BP announced they're going to pull all their business out of Russia and they're going to take a $25.5 billion hit. Ooh. A lot of that is based on commodity prices. So obviously BP, for those who don't know, it's an oil company. So oil prices have gone through the roof. So if they're going to divest a lot of those rigs, I believe there's offshore mining north of Russia. Yep. So... You know, if you have rigs in the water of Russia, you're kind of screwed. You're not going to be able to get those if you're not playing fair with them. But a $25 billion write down, you saw some of the other manufacturers were $3 billion, $5 billion, a lot of the refiners in the area. $25.5 billion. Wow. Now, that said, I believe it has a massive stake in Rosneft, which is yeah. the biggest uh, government Russian oil producer, yeah, government owned yeah. Russian oil producer. But insane to see the amount of strides i mean granted it's british petroleum so they're trying to you know do their their duty for queen country or whatever but a 25 billion dollar write down pre-tax accounting charge related i'm just reading it right now as you're, you're spitting this off wow i didn't even see this yeah they had a big stake in rosneth oh man 25 billion that's incredible so i want to at least the reason i want to bring this up is for a lot of people have started to the, the new cool thing to do, the new hip investment used to be tech stocks and crypto. Now it's energy stocks. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to buy them. And this is one thing where this is a cyclical industry. Your entire business is derived on the price of oil. If you shut down some of your rigs or there's an oil rig, a BP explosion. If you remember that from years back, yeah, yeah. these are those permanent impairment issues. Mm hmm. Now, the stock's up today because I think it was pricing this might be worse, but a little bit of sticker shock seeing a $25 billion write-down on a company that's worth about $100 billion. That means a quarter of their business is basically just gone. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, but it looks like they've uh, – the market, like you said, maybe the market was expecting for it to be a little bit worse. Um I mean, it, it looks like they also uh, Q1 results came out and they were good. So either way, uh, they're up eight percent today. So it's so it's interesting though to see. So France, their larger energy company called Total, is going to take a four billion dollar write down. Exxon's going to do a three point four billion dollar write down. Ooh. Shell's going to do a five billion dollar write down. So this this all comes back to diversification. If you are investing all your chips in a country like Russia and all of a sudden this happens, this is a good reason you diversify your investments. This is where the total risk of wipeout owning individual stocks is prevalent. 
you know, they're diversified enough and they're a large enough company where, yeah, this is going to hurt, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. But I mean, I think to your point uh, a moment ago about permanent impairments and how this, uh, I mean, this is just another large piece of supply that's going to be, I mean, maybe not permanently, because, uh, you know, obviously down the road, maybe regime change happens or whatever, right? Peace happens, <clears throat> they open back up, whatever. The Do point you- is, is that it's, it's been shut down. It won't be reopened and put back on the market for years. So you have years of reduced supply and very likely years and years that we're going to see $4 plus a gallon, you know, $4 plus a gallon gasoline here stateside, much higher, relatively speaking, in Europe. Um, so it's kind of, it, frankly, what I'm, I guess what I'm circling to is I know the energy trade is like the popular trade at the moment, but it's hard for it to not be, right? I mean, what else? What else, I mean, in, in terms of a, a market that is terrified of quantitative tightening, rising rates, um, slowing down the economy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, again, energy companies are gonna continue to pump. They're gonna continue to supply what's desperately needed in every sector and every you know, you know, corner of the economy. Even if the economy slows, people are still driving. I mean, again, all this is, no matter what environmentalists will like to, you know, espouse, you know, right? oil and gas is still the lifeblood of the entire global economy, and they make what we all need. Um, and now they make less of it, and we need it more. <laughs> so yep. the price of that's going to go up. Yep. All right, that's enough oil. What do you got? I mean, uh, I would say uh, let's do a little quick refresh on. Uh, on the uh, on the coin here, King status Coin update. status update on King Coin and where we're talking helium or crypto markets. No, Mister Helium, you're the helium expert. Which uh, for those out here that aren't aware of what that is, do a quick Google and uh, you're welcome. Yeah, I don't really know what it is. I was just told to <laughs> buy this miner and let this thing mine. <laughs> so it's doing its thing in my house, and I don't really know what it is, what I own. But again, that's. Yeah, essentially what Helium is, they're creating an internet network for the internet of things. So Wi-Fi essentially, network, yeah. yeah, Wi-Fi network that's essentially going to be built off of the, you know, off of telephone, cell phone towers um, that already exist. And what they're essentially doing is financially incentivizing people like uh, Mr. Jack here to set up rigs in their homes and they basically get paid a little bit every day to have this rig. And this rig is another piece of their decentralized Wi-Fi network. You know, it's probably in all honesty, just siphoning money out of my bank account, just penny <laughs> by penny. That's it. This is like stealing passwords and putting them on the dark net, but that's it. All right. What do you, what do you got for King coin? What do you want to tell everyone? I about? mean, essentially what we're seeing is a, um, a fairly large retest of, of the, uh, of the seasonal lows. I mean, Right now, we're sitting at just under 38. I mean, we're holding on with uh, the skin of our teeth. It looks like there's a lot of people that are very concerned out there. And, and what I would point out is that the, if you look at what's called on-chain analytics, uh, because again, Bitcoin is a ledger, so everything is time-stamped, everything is very transparent, and you can review every every block that's you know in existence so you can see every wallet that is out there 
et cetera, et cetera. Point of all that is that you can see a lot of trends. It's a very transparent market. Um, and there's a lot of things that give you confidence and optimism as far as uh, you know the amount of people holding Bitcoin that haven't moved it, right? Bought or sold it. It's just bought and hold is at an all-time high. The network size, uh, what's called the difficulty rating uh, or hash rate, those are two different metrics to measure basically the computing power of the network and, um, you know, by de facto, right, its importance. Um, those are at all-time highs. And, the, you know, there's an old saying that so goes hash rate, so goes price. Uh, but at the moment, we're not seeing that. And it's in a lot of people's views and my view as well. Uh, it's because it is getting lumped into uh, the same category as tech stocks, right? That high beta piece of the portfolio. So you're seeing a lot of big traders coming in there and trading it like a high beta piece of their portfolio, like tech stocks, like pre-revenue tech stocks. And so it's not necessarily operating on its own fundamentals at the moment. Um, but a lot of uh, a lot of the direction does seem that we're going to continue to see currency uh, you know, currency issues like what's going on in Japan right now. I mean, the, the yen is getting destroyed. The dollar's at a 20-year high right now, which is also one of the things that's leaning on Bitcoin right now. You've got the dollar at a 20-year high because of some of the funny mumbo-jumbo that's going on overseas with uh, sovereign currencies. And so by de facto, whenever the U.S. dollar goes up, you see Bitcoin generally work in inverse, so you'll see that go down. Same thing with gold, right? I mean, gold was looking at $2,100 an ounce very recently. Yep. Right? And now we're back below 1900 And both of those are mainly because of, you know, the dollars shooting through the roof. I mean, gold's up a little bit today, but it's still at 1869 an ounce. Uh, so, yeah. That's kind of what we're sitting at right now. I mean, there's a uh, there's a lot of people that are saying that basically the market is like a coiled snake. There's the least amount of there's the least amount of supply that's been on the market in like five years. The amount of you know long term holders is at an all time high. The network size holders, John holders, hodlers actually hodlers, but. Um, the amount okay, of hodlers, <laughs> the amount of hodlers, the amount of money that's flowing through the system right now, transactions, et cetera, et cetera, they're, they're all sitting at all time highs, which again is to suggest that the, the value, right? The, the smartest people that are the most in tune with the network are assumed to be miners and miners are doing nothing but borrowing every penny they can get, deploying every piece of capital that they have to buy more rigs, to get more mining equipment in place. Um, again, the Marathon Digital, which is uh, among the largest in the world and uh, among the largest in North America, especially, their CEO came out the other day and said, basically, there's absolutely no change to their game plan. They're going to continue to push forward. They're going to continue to deploy miners. Uh, and by this time next year, they anticipate to have uh, by far and away the largest mining operation in the world. Um, and they also expect it to be 100 percent green. 100 percent green. But that anyway, that's 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 an update on, on what's going on in the uh, the Bitcoin space. We're seeing a lot of price uh, concerns, but we believe a lot of that is to do with it being lumped in with just kind of as a macro asset. Uh, so looking at things like, again, high beta tech stocks or just risky tech stocks, it's being lumped in that same category. 
Um, and historically speaking, Bitcoin does have that same level of volatility. So it's not uncommon. It's not weird for it to happen this way. But it does have a lot of fundamental components that are suggesting that it is uh, it could e this thing could easily turn around for Bitcoin and it could go on a very nice run here in, uh, in short order. Well, I kind of think this is one of those things where if you don't excite the crowd, the crowd doesn't follow. So right now, falling prices, you know, nobody wants tech stocks. Kathy, somehow Kathy Wood is still having inflows for the ARC funds, mm -hmm. so, which is very interesting. You're starting to see Hello, baby. a very large percentage of the people that bought into the ARC funds are staying in the ARC funds, <clears throat> even though they're back to, I think her funds are below the COVID they're below the start of, of uh, I think it was 2020. So everything they did through COVID, all that performance is basically gone. And I think a lot of that was a lot of that was tied to Tesla performance because that was the one she really killed it on. But she diversified out. She bought things like Teladoc, and I don't know if you've seen a Ooh. chart of that dumpster Ooh. fire, but. Ooh. This yeah. company went from almost $300 a share to today's 38. I mean, this thing will be acquired by somebody in my mind in the next couple of months, but I mean, it's it's a risk-off environment. Most people are defensively positioned. Everyone's kind of just waiting. You know, the good thing from a recession, this is maybe a good topic to pivot to is a lot of people, especially clients on our end are talking about recession. Should I be adjusting what I'm doing for recession? And it's kind of a double-edged sword you don't really know what's ever going to cause a recession and you don't know you're in a recession till afterwards normally or yep. once you're yep. there yep but the flip side of it is most consumers have more cash on hand than ever before a lot of people used 2020 2021 to get assistance from the government a lot of people saved the economic payments they received the unemployment people got raises People stopped paying their mortgages and added cash on their balance sheets. So the individual consumer is high and the consumer's cash on hand is very high and debt levels are, are, are not as excessive on the individual level. But consumer confidence is just through the ground. So if people aren't confident, if people aren't, um, I guess, comfortable with the market environment, they're not going to take the risk in crypto. They're not going to take the risk in tech stock, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a positive feedback loop, right? So if, if good stuff happens, people will spend, you know, good news comes out, good stuff happens, people spend more money, they're more optimistic, their house is worth more, they feel better, right? So some of that wealth effect, um, if they see things start to go down, right, they see inflation's going up, so they're getting a little bit concerned. So they maybe, maybe even before the real price pressure starts to happen, right, before it actually starts to bother them, it starts to bother them mentally. And so they start to question what they're spending and start to cut back just out of fear and what they hear and what they read. And so that changes their behavior. And then again, it's just, it feeds into itself. So they spend less and so then companies make more. So their profits look worse. So then they report earnings, their earnings look worse. It drives the market down further. People get a little bit more nervous because they see their 401k go down or their, or their IRA or their investment account, et cetera, et cetera. The point is, is that it is absolutely a feedback loop that um, it goes both directions. And right now we're definitely on the downswing of that, of that uh, feedback loop. Yep. But uh, I was, while we were chatting, I was looking up some of the, uh, some of the darlings of COVID, right? So docu, I would say the three most COVID stocks, right? DocuSign, 
um, Teladoc, and Zoom. All of them are down anywhere between 80 and 90%. It's crazy from their all-time highs. Zoom peaked above 500 at one point. I mean, you yeah. had, what was it, five? It was like 560. 560 we, have, we have backed out all of the value of work to home, work from home, excuse me, has come out of those stocks. Yeah. So you're kind of reset back to 2019, 2018. And I think a lot of these companies are going to go completely just poof, they're gone. Teladoc's a good example. I don't know why, you know, United Health or one of these companies can't buy them can out. Create. Yeah, I mean, that's probably what's going to happen is United Health, Aetna, someone's going to buy them out and just tuck this in. Then you want to go see your doctor. You just hit a button and chat with them. I mean, it's weird. Have you ever done a virtual doctor thing? Yeah. yeah. I, had, I had strep like two years ago and they were like, turn the flashlight on on your phone and then reverse <laughs> the camera and stick your phone in your mouth. I'm like, is that sanitary? <laughs> are you a real doctor Stick your phone in your mouth now cough yeah yeah i actually did see something um so i listened to this i listened to this pretty interesting podcast and i listened to this uh this little email news chain that i get and uh it talks about kind of different futuristic breakthroughs technologies whatever and uh, a lot of times it's just more cutting edge um university research stuff right so this one uh, university is is working on a patent and they're working to uh, basically create a a camera lens that can filter uh, your skin like the 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 um, what is it like the texture of your skin yep. through the phone to aid with disease uh, basically to, to help doctors uncover what you have right right some rash or some level of sickness or so it's just it's one of those weird things that ties in a telehealth and teledoc that you know you stick in your phone and in your mouth in a few years might not be that crazy because they're eventually going to come out with cameras and technology that basically give the doctors the ability to um one they'll be able to, to sync with your phone and then two it's going to have the camera technology to give them the kind of like i guess uh angles, the views, the texture readings, whatever, to determine what you have. So it's pretty, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I think if you were to ask me what sector of the economy I'm most bullish on over like the next 10 years, I think it's the health side. Cause you're seeing a lot of like, I mean, think about Apple health. I'm wearing a Apple watch and they're mining that data. So you're going to start to see, which is going to be kind of, I guess it's going to kind of be a scary time because you might have, you know, a lot of discrimination on like health insurance premiums, but they're doing the same thing with life insurance. You know, a lot of carriers now are, you know, if you're willing to give them access to your Apple health data, they'll rewrite discount or, you know, tell you, oh, you're going to get a shitty <laughs> rating <laughs> on how poor your health is, but it's a smart way to go. Cause if, you know, everything should be data points in my mind and kind of like, you know, if you tell Alexa this, then the lights turn off. It should be kind of the same thing. You know, if your health indicates this, then, you know, do this. If you need to virtually see a doctor or, you know, you can do every test from your health. So I, I think that whole sector is huge. Downside is this is kind of like the AOLs at the time. Yeah. You know, AOL basically created the internet almost and then poof, 
nobody uses AOL for anything anymore. I'm sure all the assets from that were just harvested. Like a you know bunch of vultures came in and took the corpse. You can still go to AOL and search for stuff, but I don't know anyone that's like, oh, go to AOL, <laughs> search this. Everyone yeah. goes to Google because Google perfected what's going on. But very, very weird. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I mean, the demographic shifts, right? They, This is going to be the biggest explosion in technological innovation, and it's driven by the biggest shift in aging population, right? What is it, 10,000 a day between now and 2030 or 2035? We'll be turning 65, right? So, I mean, you've got all these baby boomers that are getting older. They're getting, you know, they have those those needs, and those needs will just continue to get bigger and bigger, and they're the wealthiest demographic. Um, so they're obviously going to be spending the most on, on uh, health care, and they have no problem doing it. Yep, yep. All right. Let's do a buy, sell, hold. We've done that in a little while. We'll wrap up on this. I'm going to start just throw some some uh, some ideas out here, but looking through a lot of companies. So if you take something like Walmart, for example, yeah, I kind of think the I'm using air quotes the safe trade, the value trade, yeah, has gotten almost completely overblown. So a company like Walmart is now trading at 32 times earnings, which mm. typically trades at a lower, a lower valuation. Yeah. So most of these high growth companies, you know, the Amazons, of the world, they're all getting crushed. You know, so Walmart's trading at 31 times earnings. At the same time, a company like Google is trading at 21 times earnings. So what are your thoughts? Buy, sell, or hold the kind of growth versus value trade? I mean, I think there's still meat on the bones for the uh, for the value trade. I really think that we're just getting into the uh, we're just getting into the rate hikes now. I don't I don't think there's gonna I don't think this is gonna go on for nearly the length of time that the growth trade went on for. So be weary. Uh, but I definitely think the value trade's got more time left to it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, however, if the economy gets so jarred with basically the numbers that continue to roll out and then also the shock of the uh, rate increases that and and the other thing is right the quantitative tightening that's going on with fed balance sheets and all of you know if you mix all that together i could absolutely see us because we've already had a negative print on gdp which i don't think we've touched on yet but q1 came in negative excuse me q1 came in negative at negative one point what was it negative 1.4 and 1.6 mm-hmm. um and so either way we we could very well already be in the middle of a recession right now right i mean just like you said earlier you don't know it usually until you're already out of it yep right we could we could easily be in the middle of one right now and i guess my point is is that i i see this trade going on for a while but if things get much worse uh the fed will pivot in my opinion they will change course they will loosen they will maybe it's even possible. I don't think it's unlike, I don't think it's crazy to say that it's possible the Fed lowers rates at least one time this year, mm-hmm. right? If they, if they raise rates into two and a half percent, we're still looking at eight, nine plus percent inflation. Uh, unemployment starts to get rocky because the only thing that's keeping them on course right now is how strong the employment numbers look, right? We continue yep. to see strong employment numbers, strong employment numbers, strong employment numbers. If that changes, 
I mean, I think that's the first thing they do is, is go right back to, okay, well, let's start buying bonds again. Let's start reducing rates. We overdid it, yada, yada, yada. That's, I think, the very likely outcome. Um, and one that obviously does, it's going to be a quick pivot from value to growth again. Yep. It's going to move quick when it does. Yep. I'm with absolutely. you. I'm going to, I think I'm going to, I think you're going to see that buyback because people are going to want to see the growth in a, in an environment where especially the U S market might grow slower. People don't want to be in the dust. They want to make sure they still have something that's keeping up with inflation, compounding stuff like that. But at the same time, think about it this way, right? I mean, if you're, if you're the fed and you have, I mean, you don't really have any good options, right? Cause you've already got wild inflation. So you're trying to calm wild inflation. The economy was growing nicely. Inflation already started to kind of slow that down. And now you've got a negative print. So now you've got what could possibly be a recession and higher inflation, right? The possible stagnation there. So it's either, okay, do I continue to have the, the worst option available, which is high inflation and a recession and you know stagnation all at the same time? Or do I just loosen, you know, right, kind of turn the spigot back on. And yes, we have high inflation, but at least asset prices are going up. At least we're not in a recession, right? I mean, I'm just saying those, those are things that I think are going to be very much debated. And uh, it being an election year, it's, it's hard for me to imagine this Fed who's already been, um, they're notoriously political. Um, it's very hard for me to imagine an environment where they really shove us full in to a recession with massive inflation at the same time. I agree. I agree. But we will see. All right. My turn. Your I turn. Hold. All right. Jumping in. I sell hold. <laughs> so I'm going to piggyback on that last thing we were just touching on. Buy, sell, hold uh, the Fed raising rates one time this year. Raising rates? Raising rates. So this is interesting because the question is going to be, Basically, do they overdo it? Well, the other aspect is, is the mar did the market do it for them? Like, yeah, do they need sure. to? Because sure. did the market, you know, did the market over move where they don't have to? Because if, mm -hmm. if that's the case, then they could let the market do their thing, not raise the rates. I mean, you have to, like a two years already almost at 2.7, the 10 years hitting three. Yep. I still think just to keep kind of posterity, you're going to see rates rise they're gonna they'll announce at least one at least one or two more so i'm gonna buy that right on good because i'm selling selling hard Sold. good Sold. all right got one what you got what you got so berkshire meeting was this past weekend yep you had uh uncle warren charlie uncle warren. talking a lot of crap about robin hood calling it a dumpster fire so let's talk about the dumpster hut fire. Are you going to buy, sell, or hold Robin Hood? This thing. No, I, don't, I don't want any. So here's here's going to is Robin Hood a public company in five years? Buy, sell, or hold? I would say that's a much better question because I don't want any part of Robin Hood, and I don't think they're a public company. I think they get taken private. I think some hedge fund um, comes in and buys them out. Some private equity team comes and takes them private, and they try to monetize the. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe they try to monetize the, the crypto side of things for them. I, I just I don't. They they just seem like a. They're too fast and loose, and 
they're it doesn't seem like they're built for the long haul. I think something interesting that I would see with someone like like a good option would be a company like Square or in my mind PayPal, a company that already facilitates payment transfers that's kind of dabbling in this space. But the hard part with this is it's almost like you need to just buy the assets of Robinhood because the name and the management, there's just so much crap going on with them. There's so much bad publicity. Agreed. No, but I don't think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people lining up to buy that brand out. All right, what you got? All right, buy, sell, or hold. This quit rate. People still just quitting left and right, man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what is that? I mean, is that just because now I've been reading about this uh, nonsense going on in China? It's called lie still. Hmm. You, ever, you ever hear this? Yeah. So it's, a, so it's this social movement. All right. Well, even though you have heard of it, I'm still just going to explain it for our audiences out there, jerk face. But so lie still is this uh, this movement out there that's basically driven by the youth in the Chinese uh, workforce because they're protesting these absurd working hours that they have, which are 12 hour days, six days a week, which is wild. But um, I guess we were there a hundred years ago. I mean, (laughs) that happens. So I don't, I don't know. I think I'm going to sell this crap. I think once everyone gets through this side of the COVID you know, once once we get through COVID, China's kind of going back through COVID. I think once all this is done, we'll we'll get back and people go back to work and go yeah. from there. But yeah, we're at almost twelve yeah. million people that are intentionally not working. That's yeah, but China, that's, that's what like no no no. no I'm not talking about China. I'm talking about that's in the U.S. Ah, I thought you meant China. No no no. no. The Labor Department reported a seasonally adjusted 11.5 million job openings in March. So we have 11.5 million openings where people just aren't working. Like they, they, nobody's they, in the in quit job. Let me see. In the, according to the government estimates, 4.5 million have quit since the start of COVID. Yeah. I think part of that is people aren't reporting that they're doing like side hustles and starting yeah, their own okay. gig and they're not reporting. So I'm going to sell. I think this is more of a, this is more rumor than anything else. And I think this okay. is kind of non-event. Plus I think once you get a, once you get the elderly out of the white house, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you may have a different chance on employment around like, you know, even the, I guess we'll we'll go with this, but the, you know, Biden was riding into the White House on the, we're going to just abolish student loans for everybody. And then he got in and didn't do shit. So now people are protesting. Is he going to, you know, still give away $50,000 in student loans? You're going to buy, sell, or hold that actually getting through? Because I think that's a bunch of horse shit. I definitely don't buy that it gets through. I think it'll be challenged and it just, it's not constitutional. It won't happen. I don't think it happens, but what I do think realistically does happen is that he pauses um, and he doesn't restart because he can, now he does have that power, or at least he's got that power 
as of now until he's checked on that power. Nobody's checked him on that power at the moment. But what he's basically done is put um, – he, he continues to kick the can down the road. You know, federal student loans are going to be frozen until 8 August. And then August rolls around, and they're like, right before August comes, like, ah, it'll be frozen until uh, December. December rolls around, like, ah, it'll be frozen until next March. And yep. he just continues to keep going. I could easily see that basically lasting throughout his presidency. I agree. I agree. Um, but I, I don't think he has the power – and I don't think uh, he would be able to get away with it. And if he did, it absolutely wouldn't be fifty million or fifty uh, fifty thousand. It'd be well, something. Think, he has come out and floated out the ten thousand dollar number. Yeah, I think. It, and what's what's honestly stupid with this? Because you know, if you've already had student loans and you got your ass a job and you yeah, paid them off, of course. And then how the hell are you going to take someone that's not doing it? And it should be, in my mind, I think just take the same approach you do for medical professionals. You got a million dollars in student loans. You're going to work for a nonprofit hospital and you're going to get a crap salary for 10 years, yeah. but you don't have to pay any of those loans back. Yeah. And then you go leave and go to private practice. And there's even areas in the legal industry that allow this. You can go work for specific institutions that need, maybe it's a nonprofit, needs a lawyer to work on staff. Same thing. I mean, I yeah. think they should just expand how loan forgiveness comes through. Maybe you have to go work for a government entity and take a mediocre salary, but if you're going to get a good salary, then shut up. No tears. If you're not going to work, no tears. If you're going to do something useful for society, then there should be some way to maybe make it a little better or renegotiate what schools could charge. That, that makes more sense in my mind. So no, I think, I think you're going to see more of that. I think there are, especially with a lot of this excess wasted COVID money sloshing around. Um, I mean, because there's so many states and municipalities that literally just have COVID money that was assigned for a particular reason. They didn't use it or need it all. And it's just sitting there and it's allocated and it's budgeted. So I, I could absolutely see them carving off some of that in like various states. Like, for example, in Florida, them saying, okay, well, if you come work for, uh, or if you work for a local, you know, whatever, firefighter uh, or police department or what have you, or if you work for the state in X capacity, or if you work for the state and, you know, some other, right, as a teacher, I mean, which they already do have that. But my point is I could see them getting more creative with those types of forgiveness programs where it's a work for forgiveness versus a pure, like, hey, you made bad choices. We'll give you a freebie. Sorry, that women's studies uh, degree didn't really work out like you thought it would. The those pan, those pan, uh, pan Am, the pan African ladies studies degree didn't work out exactly how you thought it was, but, um, you know, there's always next time point is, is that I think they'll, they will expand it and, uh, get more creative with how they're looking to forgive it. Ideally, they don't come out and just say, Hey, you morons get a free pass. We have to realize too, if That's you're going me. to get a degree in video games, you're going to end up either in video games. Like you have to kind of know where you're going. Like, un, you know, I think maybe they need to do a better you know, job at educating younger kids on which path you should take. There should be more classes in my mind on entrepreneurship. I think that's not taught enough and that needs to be instilled. Absolutely. Hey, here's how you make money for yourself. And then you go complain about taxes. <laughs> what I would really love to see, this will never happen just because, um, I don't know. I, they don't, they don't, they essentially, I know I won't have it because they don't have to do it, 
but um, they already make plenty of money not doing this. But what I think would be very interesting, what I would love to see is a university that comes out and prices out degrees based on demand, right? So you take a, an engineering degree, well, based on two components, two primary components, right? One is demand and the other is earning potential, right? So you take an engineering degree at a normal university, maybe it used to be $30,000, $40,000. Now it's eighty dollars or $100,000. And that's mainly because you've got a much higher earning potential. So that degree yep. costs twice as much than somebody who comes and gets an English degree. Instead of them paying thirty, forty thousand, $40,000, maybe they pay 20000 Yeah. I mean, and they so get having... the same thing. And you know what's crazy? And nobody wants to do it, but like... Most jobs can be and will be automated over mm -hmm. the coming years, but it's like the process yeah. to can wash your toilet, and get your shit out of your house is this, it's been the same for, for decades and it's not going to change. There's not going to be, you know, some drone that you drop in the toilet that just, you know, takes it out to the street and make sure it goes there. So I kind of think, you know, right now, if I, you know, if I had loads of money and I was going to start investing in businesses, I'd want to buy like into HVAC companies and plumbing companies because those are the recession-proof businesses. Those are the ones that are going to be around forever. Everyone likes this sexy crypto stuff, but it's like, you know, be the guy that literally handles lawns. <laughs> you know, they make a bot that does that, but at the same time, you know, people that are doing that raw labor, I think are in a phenomenal spot for decades and decades to come. And they're making a ton. You saw Walmart raised their, their, Overnight trucker salary rates are like $130,000. They're absurd. Wow. Yeah. So anyone out there not working, Walmart's hiring. Well, so it's funny It's funny you say that. So there's a uh, there's a podcast or there's a website. It's called Contrarian Thinking. And um, this, this woman, Cody Sanchez, she comes out and basically says exactly that. She's a um, – she's from venture capital. She's done funds. She's done all this stuff, right? But she is – very innovative and on the forefront of basically taking old like legacy businesses and adding efficiency, technology, scale, and basically ballooning the margins, like taking an old plumbing company that was mom and pop. It's very rudimentary. You know, he's got a good list. He's got a good marketing, you know, department. Maybe, maybe he's got a good brand name in the local area. He's got two, three locations. Um, she can plug that in with other similar plumbing stores that she owns, better pricing on products, uh, you know, employees, you know, they can, depending on how far they are from each other, right. They can, they can kind of share employees, et cetera. And just, she just gets a bigger scale from that. But those blue collar type businesses are a big one, but she also looks into ones that are very, um, very low maintenance. You know, obviously laundry mats is an easy one. Car washes is an easy one. She's talked about actually ice machines as a very good one. Like buying, putting institutional money behind ice machines, essentially buying them, repositioning them in the right places. And essentially what it comes to, like the, she was like, the margins on those things are massive. Like Is one, yeah. one, one, one machine, water. No, that's it. She's like, you pay for a, a very small, you need a small electrical hookup and you need a water hookup. And essentially it costs you like, the, she was like, the margins are like 60% net margins on those things. So on one machine, you're not going to get rich, but you get multiple machines and you get, and it's like, the, basically the way she describes it is that everybody has three things, right? They've got time, they've got money, or they've got experience, right? So if you've got, if you don't have the experience, but you've got time and you've got money, right? Maybe you're the one that operates these, but let's say you don't have time 
but you've got money and you've got a little bit of experience, maybe you put the money in and you're you're kind of like looking at them from a distance and you're working with somebody. But those are definitely um, it, it's just interesting that you say that because I, I thought that was a very uh, very timely uh, comment because yeah. that definitely is something that I think could uh, continue to grow and, and balloon over these years. People are yeah. overlooking a lot of these blue collar jobs and just kind of mundane businesses, cash flow, cash flowing type businesses that you can really jump into. And with a little bit of modernization, you can make a big difference. And you know, I bet a lot of them don't have absurd prices. Like if you wanted to go acquire them, like there's not an insane multiple on exactly. a lot of those businesses like you'd get in some other industries. So. And that's the other thing she talks about is that you go in there and you can buy those things at small multiples because you're buying them from a mom and pop. There's not a huge market for it. And basically you're paying what as a good number to these people based on the market rate. And then you're able to turn that into a much more profitable venture by adding again scale and some technology and some modernization. Okay. Nice. Well, I think that about wraps it up. You got any final thoughts? No, everybody don't worry about it. Stay invested. Uh, if you've got cash uh, strategically put it into the market as you see good opportunities. Now could be a good opportunity. We may see a little bit more volatility over the summer, but uh, I would just uh, keep keep focus on what your goals and objectives are, what you're investing in and why. Um, but now that's it. I think we covered on a lot of good stuff today. Perfect. Well, all right, guys. Any questions? Again, craftadvicepodcast at gmail.com. Find Sean or us on any social media. Shoot us an email. Uh, like, subscribe, tell your friends, send in questions, whatever you want. But, Sean, cheers. Cheers. Adios, everybody. Adios. Jack and Sean work for Sench Advisory Group, a registered investment advisory firm. All discussions between Jack and Sean or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Sench Advisory Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Sench Advisory Group may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.